Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. That's actually kind of an emotional question. Uh, <laughs> like for me to see that product go out in the world and you know finally make it onto people's bikes is like extremely fulfilling. You know, that that's part of the dream of what started Trestle was to make products that would help people get out in the world and do what they want to do. And, you know, it's really tough to put into words how much that that means to you. That was Morgan Mizak taking us behind the scenes of one of the products that he created and a little bit of the passion that goes along with it at Trestle. The artist series, the CRC and the Jerion today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the show. One easy way to show support for this podcast is to share an episode. That might be this episode or a past episode. You can do that in your app. Uh, There's a little share button in most apps. Click that button and send a text or email out and, uh, and help somebody who hasn't found the podcast yet. Morgan Meisak is here to take us into Trestle and some of their new product line uh, this year. We find out how the Jerion Universal Bike Rack system came to be, how he co-founded Trestle and the story behind that, and what is coming up next in the future. We definitely dig into it. One of my biggest biking pains is solved today, so let's find out how they do it. Here we go. Morgan Meisak from Trestle.com. How you doing, Morgan? I'm good, Dave. How are you? Good. Good to finally uh, chat with you here. We've been uh, talking about this for a while, and uh, we had John on a while back, and uh, we had a good conversation about Trestle, and I'm excited because you guys have you know a big product that's out there now that I know is really serving up a need for me, just personally. This has been a big pain in my butt for a while with the Viking stuff, so we're going to talk about that, but we're going to go into a lot of just the Trestle overall. But take us back real quick on Trestle. Tell us your side. How did this come to be? How did you get involved as a co-owner of Trestle? Oh, sure. Uh, so John and I worked together uh, at a couple different places as mechanical engineers, uh, originally at a company that was manufacturing tools for electron microscopy. And then from there, we actually ended up both working at another firm that was designing uh, locomotives. So we went from really tiny stuff to really huge stuff, which was interesting. Um, but that came to an abrupt halt. Uh, I think it was January of 2015. We went into work. It was actually my birthday. Um, and we found out that the payroll account had been swept by the state and uh, all of the back taxes for payroll had been collected. There was no money left and they had, uh, closed the company. Um, so yeah, there was a, a year long, uh, legal battle with the state to kind of get us our final paychecks and stuff. And, um, yeah, once we got all that sorted out, uh, we were able to move on. I remember John talking about that. He took the money and run, right? This person, is that kind of how it worked? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The, the company had gone bankrupt. It got bought. Um, and then there was some confusion with, you know, new ownership and old ownership and yeah, I don't know all the details. I just know, uh, it was a big surprise and, um, it was kind of the the catalyst for John and I to team up and start our engineering firm, um, which, you know, that exposed us to a lot of really great projects, a lot of great product design. Um, and from there realized, well, we have some really great ideas for products and we'd like to turn those into 
reality. So we decided to launch our own brand that we could design and build our own products under. And that's where Trestle started. Yeah, that's it. And then Trestle began and was the first, what was the first product in the line? We actually, the first, very first product we ever sold was actually a t-shirt. Um, hmm. and, and my wife still jokes to this day that we're a t-shirt company. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You guys sell a lot of your, your, uh, your clothing is a big thing, right? A big hit out there. Yeah, it is. Yeah. We've been able to team up with a lot of really great artists to come up with some really cool concepts. Um, you know, and we've got our artist series apparel that we've been doing every year. We've got a new, a new set of designs coming out this year that I'm really excited about. Um, I can't, can't say much more than that right now, but yeah, keep an eye out for that. It's going to be awesome. We've got some new shirts, new sun hoodie, um, some new carry accessories that are going to go with that. You got a sun hoodie coming. Yeah. Oh, nice. I'm going to have to hit you up on that one. That's, that's awesome. I'm Noah guy. I can probably hook you up. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> good, good. Yes. That's been going great. Um, but the first real product was the CRC system, which is our car top fly rod carrier. I've got that on top of my, uh, the car right now. And, uh, it's pretty sweet because it's like, you kind of set it and forget it. You know, once it's up there, it does all sorts of things, but for the most part, you know, I just have it up there and rods are ready to go, but there's a lot of engineering. We talked about that with John. So maybe if we have time at the end, we'll dig a little more into the CRC, uh, just as a reminder of what it does and how it's differentiated. But I want to hear also about this new product. So, because you kind of have a focus, right? John's kind of the more of the fly guy. And then you're more of the, talk about that. How are you guys different on what you do? Yeah. So, uh, John introduced me to fly fishing. Uh, so when we got started, you know, we went fishing a bunch and I was like, oh, this is great. Like, you know, this is a great kind of add on activity for what I like to do, which is mountain biking. Um, and we kind of paired the two together and I introduced John to mountain biking. We've gone and ridden some downhill over at Stevens pass together and been out, uh, riding to get to fishing spots and stuff. And it's, it's been a blast, but yeah, I grew up just riding my bike in the woods um, and then ended up racing in high school and college uh, for Northeastern University. And wow. uh, yeah, yeah. Like like downhill, like mountain bike racing? Yeah, yeah. Downhill, uh, dual slalom, four cross, cross country. Um, I even raced a little bit of road in my senior year of college, uh, which wow. was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it was a blast. Yeah, what is that like? I mean, just take us there a little bit to the, the mountain biking. I'm picturing you going down some crazy stuff and like doing a tabletop over a jump and all that. Is that kind of what it looks like? Yeah, probably not uh, as epic as what you might see on you know TV or the internet, but yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, nice. Was there ever a, a chance there that you were thinking about the X Games and kind of going big on that? Oh, no. You know, the, le the level I competed at, you know, I I'd say the fastest I ever was was maybe, you know, expert level i was never going to be a professional okay yeah we had a, a recent episode uh, david gravette who's a professional skateboarder and fly angler he we had him on but he talked about his background and i mean the guy's broken almost every bone in his body and it, it was really intense um do you have some broken bones from your work there i have never broken a bone dave there you go just like me i don't know how it's possible i've definitely wrecked myself more than once uh Maybe I've broken something and wasn't aware, but yeah, as far as I know, no broken bones to date. What's the worst uh, like wreck you've had on, on doing the bike? Oh man, um, at Mount Snow, I smashed my ankle uh, between my bike and a rock oh, and geez. ruptured the uh, like the casing around your muscle. I forget what that's called. Right. Yeah, and I just had this insane swollen ankle for a long time. Yeah. So you're out. 
God. Yeah. There you go. So good. So that was it. I mean, that's where your background, this bike comes in. You have that biking background. And then, um, so talk about the Jerion. Like, how does this thing, because it's such a unique, and I know you guys are highly engineered. I mean, everything's engineered highly. That's what I think what differentiates you guys, right? But talk about the Jerion. How did this idea come to be? And, and what is it? Yeah, th this was one of the original product ideas we had um, when we first started. And we were really looking for a way for people to bring any of the gear that they have on their mountain bike. Um, you know, a lot of the times when you get a new mountain bike, you don't really have any provisions to put racks or gear on that bike. You know, they don't come with, you know, rack mounts or anything like that. Plus, if you've got suspension, that further complicates things. So we were like, how, how do we put a rack on a capable mountain bike and give people this option to bring their favorite stuff with them so that you can ride 10 miles a single track through the woods. But when you get there, you've got your boots, your waders, your fly rod, or your camping gear, whatever you want to bring with you. Um, that was kind of the spark. We went through a lot of different prototypes um, for the design. I think it was probably like a three, three year process of, you know, like 3d printing stuff out of plastic and putting it together and, you know, putting it on the bike, bringing it out and wrecking it and be like, well, this doesn't work for these reasons. And, or it would work on one bike, but it wouldn't work on this other bike for, you know, whatever reason. And ultimately what we came up with was, um, this Jerian product that we have now, which is universal in that it mounts on the steerer tube of your bike, which any modern bike is going to have a standard one and an eighth steerer tube and then mounts to your seat post, which every bike's got a seat post. So once we figured that out, it was off to the races. You mentioned the, like the 3d plastic. That's always been interesting to me, the 3d plastics and how that works. Talk about that printing. I'm sure that's been amazing as an engineer seeing the evolution. Talk about that. How does that work when you go from idea maybe in a CAD or whatever to like actually a physical product? Yeah. So, you know, take an idea that you have for a product, um, you turn it into a 3D model in whatever modeling software you have. Um, and then you take a file from that software and you plug it into a 3D printer. And there's a lot of different kinds of printers out there. Um, typically the one we use is, uh, it's um, a centered layer process, which means there's a, a bed that moves up and down and there'll be just a film of dust. And then they'll come through with a laser and they'll melt all that plastic dust into a layer then they'll spread another layer on top of that and repeat the process and just build up the layers of plastic. Oh, wow. So the product, it depends on what it is, but the, like the original product, the Jerion was like a fully thick, it wasn't hollow or anything like that. Yeah, that's right. Um, and nowadays you can print so many different materials from aluminum to steel, precious metals. Um, people are 3D printing entire circuit boards with plastic and metal multi-material type stuff yeah it's it's gotten really advanced and you see it used more and more in manufacturing for consumer goods it's really cool gotcha what were people doing before the 3d printer how would you get a product like this out you would need to contact a machine shop um, and then send them your designs on drawings and then they would cut those out of metal so if someone's not familiar with this process you take a block of aluminum or steel um, and then they've got an end mill that comes in and they cut the shape out from that material. And of course, there's limitations on what you can do with that technology um, from a, a design standpoint. You know, you can't have a hollow, inaccessible cavity, for example, 
where the tool that cuts the metal can't get to it. Um, that's just one example, but yeah, it was, it was an expensive and time consuming process. So just to give you a comparison, I could design a part, um, that's, you know, made out of plastic and it might cost a few hundred bucks to get it machined into a prototype just because you've got to pay for the machinist's time. Um, and you're also paying for the time on their machine because that's a valuable resource and it's time is expensive, just like the professional who uses it. Um, whereas with a 3d printer, it just goes from one computer to another. And then somebody takes that and plugs it into the printer and then the printer just spits out a part. And it's really just, you know, a little bit of time on that machine, plus the cost of the material and whatever upcharge the company that prints it wants to charge. And you're, you're looking at, depending on how big the part is anywhere from 20 to a hundred dollars for a plastic part like that. Right. There you go. So that's basically how the Jerion was created. And now, you know, I always think of the struggle that I've had, you know, the old school, right. You used to have these um, metal uh, carriers, right. On your bike, you'd screw in and they were kind of never really worked for a long time, especially on a hard dirt road, right. Gravel, they'd bounce around, they get loose. Yeah. So this one, if you're, cause it holds like 30 pounds, right. Is that 15 on the front, 15 on the back, or talk about that a little bit of how it would be if we were taking this thing down a bumpy road with like 30 pounds of gear. Yeah, sure. So it does hold 15 pounds on the front and the rear rack. So it's got a rack on both ends of your bike. Um, they're fully adjustable so you can, you know, put them in the right position for your specific bike. And then once you get them loaded up with all that gear and you're riding down the trail, you know, especially if you're on a full suspension bike, you're not going to notice those kind of jostling and getting, you know, bounced around quite as much as you would on a traditional rack. Um, you know, like you said, the traditional style rack mounts directly to your frame, um, often really close to the the wheel and all those impacts and things that come through your you know, your frame and stuff go right into those bags. But if you're on the Jarian and you're on a sus full suspension bike, you've got a layer of kind of, you know, insulation between those vibrations and the gear you're carrying. Gotcha. That's what it is. So, and, and it kind of, it looks interesting because you have the bar going down the middle, but then on the front and back, it's literally just this platform that looks like it's almost floating out there, right? It seems like impossible, the engineering, how do you get to hold 15 pounds on that. So talk about that. How do you engineer that? How is that something you can describe a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we use um, a software called SolidWorks. And one of the things it can do is you can tell it, you know, I want to take this part. I want to, you know, fix this portion of it in space. And then I want to apply a force over here and I want to see what will happen to that material. So you, through this process, you can kind of see where things are going to fail um, where things might break or bend or be strong enough or too strong. Um, so you don't make things too heavy. Oh, right. Right. Break your bike. That, that's something, right. It's so strong that you actually do something to the bike itself. Right. Yeah. Or, or maybe you just end up designing something that, you know, weighs so much that the end user is never going to want to use it because it's just too, too much weight. Yeah. And it's pretty interesting because the 15 pounds, I'm not sure how you guys came up with that number, but we just had an episode a while back um, with Bear Vault and, uh, and Grant described, he's a, like an ultralight backpacker and he mm -hmm. described how he can get a full weeks of his gear into 11 pounds. I think it was like 11 or 12 pounds. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Back in the day, I was, I was used to like doing like a 50 pound <laughs> backpack, but everything's gotten super ultralight. So that's what's cool about this is literally you could take Grant's week-long thing and you can get two of them on this bike right so how'd you come up with the 15 pounds that is actually what you just mentioned is kind of the source of it we looked at you know what does somebody need to bring with them realistically 
and how much weight do you actually want to put on your bike in a mountain biking setting realistically, you know, it's great to have more capacity. And that is something that we're working on for the future is being able to carry more gear. Um, but when you're pedaling a bike through the woods and you want to be maneuverable, once you get past that 30 pound mark, you're really changing the way your bike handles and the way things feel and the maneuverability. Um, and like you said, gear is so light these days. I mean, I can pack my tent, my sleeping pad and my sleeping bag and the whole setup weighs less than five pounds. And I've got it like an entire two man tent with a comfy four inch thick sleeping pad. It's, it's crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> That's really cool. Well, if we have time, we might dig into your, uh, I'm always loving the gear. So we might dig into some of your gear that, uh, what you use there to on your trip. So it's interesting. So if you were taking this thing and this would be the extreme, but you've got say 30 pounds or maybe even say 15 pounds on your bike, could you bomb down like that stuff you used to race in college where you're going downhill? Would, is it at that level or is that kind of pushing it? No, no. <laughs> it's <laughs> funny you asked that. Um, I actually did that to test the product. Uh, hmm. So there's a couple quick clips in some of our videos on YouTube of it, but there's a, I live in Olympia, Washington, and we have a ton of great mountain biking here. Um, and one of the trail systems called the North Slope Trails, they have all these fantastic downhill runs. And there's this one trail, it's called Low Key, and one of the local racers built it so he could train for World Cups. And it is, it is gnarly. It's like you come around a corner and you're hucking four feet off of a stump into a left-hand corner that spits you out into just a field of roots. And the whole thing is just super steep. And riding down that with like a you know full pack setup was definitely nerve-wracking, but uh, it was a great way to test the product. Wow, that sounds intense. Yeah, I remember I haven't done a lot about like the hardcore like that, but I remember one time I was, I had a hard tail, you know, it just had the front shock and I went down one of those things. I remember, I think my back was out for like a week because of the, <laughs> the bumping. But I mean, these bikes nowadays, I'm sure, right? You get the right bike with the shocks and you're good to go anywhere. Is that, I mean, what is that? Like, maybe you can talk about your bike. What are you riding out there? What's your, what's your downhill, your, your hardcore mountain bike? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I have, um, what's generally referred to as a trail bike. I've got 150 millimeters of travel up front, 130 in the back. Um, and it's long, low slack, uh, super fun bike, really versatile. You know, I can go out and ride any of the trails in my neighborhood or in my neck of the woods and it's perfectly capable. Um, but there's some guys out there, they run, you know, a full on downhill bike and they've got eight inches of suspension front and rear and they're able to basically ride it like a moto oh right so it's super squishy and they're just like they can go off a huge jump and it wouldn't yeah feel it. yep yeah anything that's in their path you know the suspension is just going to gobble it up and um, you know typically they're they're at like a lift serviced mountain where you're taking the chair lift up and riding down oh right yeah one of those that's right yeah, that's awesome. So if you wanted to see some of these videos of guys going downhill, are there some people you know of or names that we could look like, check out some videos of some crazy stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you were looking for like, you know, really crazy stuff, um, there's some really great writers out there. You can check out uh, Reese Wallace, uh, Brandon Seminuk, um and yeah, there's a bunch of really cool World Cup racers out there oh, too. Oh yeah, World Cup, right? Yeah, the Athertons. Um, they actually put on a race series in the UK called Hardline. That's some pretty intense stuff. Um, anybody riding in the Red Bull Rampage, I'd I'd say that's probably the most 
intense riding you can see. Hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. Red Bull Rampage. That's like an event they do every year. Yep. Yeah. And the Utah desert and the stuff those guys are riding is otherworldly. Nice. All right. Well, we'll find some videos. We'll put some of this in the show notes so we can take it quickly. And we'll also have a link in the show notes to this Jerion. Just take a look at what it looks like. Where'd the name come from? It's an interesting name. How'd you guys create that? Sure. Yeah. So we um, try to name our products uh, after uh, locomotives. Uh, it's kind of like a, a train theme with the trestle name. And other things we look for are, you know, like what else did this name stand for? Where did it come from? And Jerian's uh, an ancient um, Greek monster. It was a Gorgon. I think he was the the son or the grandson of um, Medusa. And he was a, a two-headed monster, which makes sense because the rack has two racks and two places to put gear. Um, so that made total sense when we found that name. But it was also a, an old steam locomotive from the 1800s. Uh, so that kind of tied everything together. Oh, okay. There it is. Yeah, that's definitely an old, old school word. Okay. So that's the Jerion and, and, uh, yeah, anything else you want to shed light on about, I mean, it is the cool thing about, and this is, I think most products you find that the things that are pretty seem simple, right? There's not too many bells and whistles. They always seem like they're the better things, right? If you put too much on it, uh, do you feel that that's true? Like this thing seems like when you look at it, it looks very simple, but I'm sure it's highly engineered, right? Yeah, definitely. The system looks really minimal. You know, it's not it's not intrusive. It's something you could leave on your bike and you're not going to really think about it too much. But when you go to use it, there's a ton of features that are put in there for, you know, various needs that you might have. So like there's slots on both sides that you could run straps through and we have, you know, we have 6 foot long straps and then we have quick little 1 foot cinch straps so you can put rod tubes on there. Um you can strap down your camping gear. Uh, if you've got your boots and your waders bagged up, you can strap that down on one of the racks, uh, which is great. And then one of the other things we did is we put uh, threaded holes on the top and the bottom um, at six different locations. So in the future, when we have other accessories, they can just bolt right into that you know threaded hole pattern. Uh, we've got a, a clip that we sell that goes with our big water case, which is like a fly box and, and gear organizer is waterproof. It floats. And that works on an NRS raft frame with their clampet mount. But we basically took that mount design and made something that can go on your water bottle cage and your bike, but it also bolts onto the rack. Um, you'll see that in some of our new content that's coming out this year. We teamed up with these guys at Wildfly Productions to kind of put together a cool video. And they took three of our Jerians out on this awesome bike packing trip. And yeah, you'll, you'll see them kind of use that whole setup in oh, that nice. way. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the stuff that those guys rode was awesome. And the bikes they were doing it on was really impressive. Oh, cool. Talk about that. So the fly box, the waterproof box you have, so it'll mount on the rack or on your handlebars. Is that what you're saying? So if you have a water bottle cage mount somewhere on your frame. Oh, cage like down below, right? Yeah. yeah. Those two little bolts on the frame. Oh, right. The two bolts. Yeah. We've got a little mount that'll bolt to those, but that mount also bolts onto the Jerian as well. Gotcha. So take off that, maybe one of the water bottles, then you can mount your thing on there. Yep. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. That'll be awesome to see the wildfly uh, video when that comes out. We'll definitely take a look at that. Um, and then we talked a little bit at the start about the clothing line. So talk about that. So you've got, um, I know you can't give away all the secrets, but, um, you know, it sounds like the secret sauce here is that you guys are working with some cool artists. And I mean, what do you attribute the success of all the, your clothing? 
I would definitely say uh, a huge portion of that comes from the artists we work with. Our our first two artist series lines, we worked with uh, actually my brother Adam is an illustrator and he did a couple teas for us. What was the cowboy one? Who did the cowboy one with riding the fish? That was uh, Morgan Brown. Um, she's a phenomenal artist. Yes, yeah, she did the tumbleweed series. Uh, so we've got, you know, the trout pulling the wagon, the uh, cowboy on the mountain bike lassoing the fish, uh, the cowboy surfing, catching a tarpon. Uh, and then we've got the the gunfight with the the pike, which is awesome. We call that one Gilly the Kid. Right. And I see where you guys, I mean, with the trains, even the old school, right? You've got this old school. It's like a mix. You got this old school thing going the trains the the cowboys but then your products are new i mean your products are super engineered and like the newest thing out there do you find that's kind of interesting is that what you guys were going for definitely yeah we we don't want any of our gear that comes out to be something that people have seen before you know we don't want it to be the same thing that you can buy from another brand it needs to offer something that isn't out there yet that's always our goal when we have a, a new product nice so the clothing line if if people want to take a look at that you got all their lines on the website they can just go take a peek at all these all the artists like old and new do you have stuff you've used before that's not out there anymore people can't get or is all the lines are still there uh yeah we discontinue stuff after a while so if you see a design that you like um you probably want to jump on it because eventually it will go away we've been running the tumbleweed series for a few years here now so that will eventually go away but it's been super popular so you know i'm not going to take something away that people love so we'll be continuing that this year. We've actually got a new sun hoodie um, that's based on our previous one that's coming out with the Bucking Brown design from the Tumbleweed series in a new color. Um, we upgraded the material and the fit on that, which we're super excited about. What's the material? Uh, it's a lighter nylon, so it's a little bit stretchy um, and it's a little bit thinner than our previous one. Um, so if you're looking for something for really hot weather, it's going to be the go-to for sure. Okay, perfect. Let's dig into the um, the CRC system a little bit. I mean, we covered that on the last episode, but for those who didn't catch that one, this is a pretty unique product as well, right? It's a rod carrier for the top outside of your car. Uh, maybe give us a couple of the highlights of that, what makes that uh, stand out. Yeah, I'd say the biggest feature that's a standout for the CRC system is the telescopic um, collapsibility of it. So you can have a car type fly rod carrier that's 10 feet long on your car, um, you can take it off in just a couple minutes, the clamps store right in the lid, and then the whole thing collapses down to about 44 inches long. And you can just throw it over your shoulder with a shoulder strap and carry it into your apartment, put it in your closet, um, put it on your friend's car, put it in the trunk, uh, bring it on an airplane, whatever you need to do. It's very portable and easy to store and use. And it only takes a few minutes to, to go on and off your car. Um, the other major unique feature is the reels up design which is a really important gear protection feature so whenever you take a rod and you slide it in and out of a fly rod holder your guides if they're not facing up are going to catch on the entrance to the rod sleeve that's inside so by putting the reels up those guides are facing up and then the rod just slides in and rests on the back of your rod so you don't damage the guides on there that's right. So the reel's up on that. And describe how it would work if somebody had the rod holder, you know, it was collapsed down into the short, I think, I don't know how long the shortest one is, but then, you know, extending it. Talk about how that happens, how somebody would uh, kind of visualize that. Sure. Yeah. So you've got this 44 inch long rod holder, holds two rods. 
um, and you would grab the nose piece and pull that out and that would extend the first section of aluminum. Um, and then there's a series of buttons on top and you would just press those one at a time and pull out the next two sections. And now you're at 10 feet long. Um, and then you would take the clamps and you would take that whole system, put it on your roof rack, uh, tighten down the two clamps. And once those are tight, the whole system's locked down and ready to go and you can pop it open and load your gear. And so you would be extending this thing, not when it's mounted on the car, but you'd do this before you put it on the car. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you would take it out of your you know, garage closet trunk, extend it out, set it up on your car and you'd be good to go. I will say there is one configuration where if it's mounted on the first two tubes, you can collapse the nose piece of it to shorten it. A lot of people do that with their smaller cars because they don't want that full 10 feet all the time. Oh, you can do that while it's on the car? Yeah, just that first section you can collapse down while it's mounted. Yep. Oh, nice. Because yeah, 10 feet is obviously huge. It's a full length rod, um, you know, sitting on the car. So you could decrease that by however many feet that would be. And it, then it makes more sense. Yeah. So like on my, I have a, a Subaru Forester. And when that's on the rack, I can see it through my windshield sticking out over the hood. Um, so I can go from 10 feet to about seven and a half feet by collapsing that front one. And it just makes it that much more compact, which is kind of a nice thing for peace of mind for some people. Nice. I think that covers most of your line. Do you guys have anything you want to, as you look ahead? I mean, are you guys always thinking products wise, you must have some other stuff you're thinking about there, but how do you know when to, to launch that next big thing? Oh man, uh, we have so many ideas for so many products and you know, if the world was perfect, we'd be able to work on all of them all the time and just launch whatever we want, whenever we want. But really it comes down to a, a strategic business decision on what we launch and what people are looking for. You know, wh where's the greatest need in the product line? So for example, this year, it's going to be a really big year for the CRC system. We have some new uh, design upgrades that are going to launch here for the product uh, the next few months. And then we've also got a new version for our Euro rod, uh, which is coming out. So you'll be able to put uh, 11 foot, six inch rod in there. Um, it'll be really similar to the existing product with just a different nose piece on it. Um, so that's something a lot of people have been asking for. You know, a lot of guys who are out there running Euro rods have said, Hey, I just, I need something that's 11 feet long, just a little bit longer so I can get this rod in here and it's going to help those guys a lot. We're really excited about that. That's an entirely new product. You're tweaking the, the old one. How do you go about changing that? So it's a little bit longer. So with that one, we just changed the nose piece. So oh, it, just the nose, right? Yeah. So we developed uh well, <laughs> externally, you know, just from like an aesthetic standpoint, that's what everyone's going to see internally. There's some big changes with how the liners function and connect with that and the assembly process and the time that goes into it. Right. Yeah. Yep. There's, there's, there's always like the little details behind the scenes, right? Right. Well, that's, a, we haven't even talked about that, but that liner is pretty amazing too, right? Because you always think no matter what your rod, even if it's like a, a soft case you're carrying, or you've always got that thing with your, your hook getting right hooked in, in the liner. Talk about the liner, right? You have some special uh, engineering there as well, right? Yeah. So our liners are suspended inside the unit. Um, and as you telescope it out, those liners expand with the unit, obviously. So there's there's four sections and we hand make all those in-house in Helena, Montana. And um, our production guys on the floor are both fly guides. So they kind of understand really well what it takes to protect a rod, which is great. Uh, we're really fortunate to have the people 
working with us that we do. Uh, the expertise they bring to the table is immense. But those those liners, uh, they're custom ground. There's no sharp edges inside. Everything's smooth when you slide the rod in. You don't feel any kind of hangups or anything on those seams. Um, and then since they're not rigidly connected to the metal shell of the unit, um, any kind of harsh vibrations or impacts while you're driving aren't directly translated into the rod. So that liner is kind of an extra layer of suspension to protect your gear. That's it. I was going to ask you about that. That's the one, same thing like with the Jerry on bombing down the trail, but with this, you're on a gravel road, bomb down your truck, your rod's going to be good to go. Even if you're going down a bumpy road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice. And if folks want to dig more into that, they can take a look. We'll throw some links to some videos there, but, um, but it is a game changer, you know, it makes it easier. I always think of myself, like, how do I make it easier to get out and do things that are, you know, that are fun. And you got that makes it easier. The biking thing, you know, I still have a trailer I pull, but the Jerion's going to make it, you know, so much better because the trailer is kind of a hassle, even though you can carry a lot of gear, you know, you're pulling something, it's got two wheels, at least mine does. And, and so like you say, this, the Jerion is going to get you single track or go wherever you want to go, which is cool. Yeah, the versatility goes through the roof once you've got everything on your bike. The trailer is definitely nice for huge loads, but man, it's really nice to be able to just hop on your bike and go. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Well, anything else we want to dig into? Any other on the product line uh, before we start to think about uh, heading out of here? Let's see. I, th I think we talked about all the new stuff that's coming out this year. Um, yeah, we got the new new apparel lines coming out, some new carry products. Uh Euro rod. I will say um, folks should keep their eyes peeled for a new color coming out later this year for the CRC system. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah. That's one we haven't really talked about much. Uh, we've been keeping that one under wraps. There you go. That's super exciting. Uh, yeah. And the new artist series is just, it's fantastic. I can't wait for people to see it. That's going to come out in March this year. Oh, in March. Okay. Yeah. And, and on the on the clothing, is it pretty much like everything or do you focus on like the sun hoodies, you know, is there caps? Like what do you guys focus on the, the type of clothing? So we start out with some tees uh, just to get the designs out there. That's what, usually what people are most excited about. And then from there, later on, we'll launch uh, the sun hoodie to go with that. Um, we might do some new hats this year. We haven't really decided yet. Um, and then any carry products that go along with that whole design. Kind of like the uh, our river locker's got our pedal cowboy design on it. What's the river locker? Is that the box? Yeah, it's the the smaller version of the big water case. So it's just a small kind of waterproof wallet. It's really handy. Oh right, right. That's a small one. Yep, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I love those boxes. I've got tons of those boxes. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of different. Um, I'm trying to think of the, some of the other companies that have them out there, but they're just essentially they're fully waterproof boxes, right? Yeah, they're they're completely sealed. They float. Um, the River locker comes with a, a wrist lanyard, so you can kind of, you know, attach it to whatever you need to, and you won't lose it. And then the big water case has got some really awesome mounting features. You know, it it mates up with that NRS clamp it, um, but it's also got strap mounts, so you can strap it to like your raft tube with uh, slots on either end of the case as well. So it's a super versatile product. Perfect. Let's take it out of here. Uh, we've got this uh, two minute drill we do, which sometimes it takes longer than two minutes, but. Uh... We'll start the clock here, and I got some questions. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Starting out here, I always, I got a couple of ways. We, we did a fireside chat when we did our steelhead um, trip. 
this year and it was really cool because i kind of passed the microphone around we were literally sitting at the campfire on the last day of this amazing steelhead trip and everybody talked about what the trip meant to them and it was kind of cool to hear everybody but you know let, let's imagine that right we're sitting around the campfire we're talking about this thing the jerry on your thing like take us there how does that feel for you seeing this thing out in the world and in this amazing product does that feel it must feel pretty good yeah that's actually kind of an emotional question um <laughs> Like for me to see that product go out in the world and you know finally make it onto people's bikes is like extremely fulfilling. That's part of the dream of what started Trestle was to make products that would help people get out in the world and do what they want to do. And you know, it's not really about you know we. It's really tough to put into words how much that means to you once you see your product out there. God, yeah, that I could, I mean, I could just imagine, right? I mean, I can't feel it because I've never been there, but it's, uh, yeah, it's your thing. You put in all this effort, right? Your whole, you know, career life is into this, one of these products. And then to see a success, right? To see an amazing product out there in the world. That was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you're a famous person and you got on the cover of People magazine, you know, <laughs> that's what it feels like. You know, it's like, oh, we made it. Like that's, that's the definition of success to see other people using the thing you designed. I'm obviously a podcast fanatic and I was just listening to one of my, the new podcasts. Here's a shout out to, I always love a, uh, a podcast. I'm trying to think of the name of it now. It's um, Dana Carvey and uh, it's called fly on the wall, Dana Carvey and David Spade. And they had uh, Will Ferrell on. I was listening to that this oh, week. Oh man. Yeah. I know. Talk about the guys and they're just riven, but they were talking about that, right? Because I mean, three successful people talking about what it feels like, right? To be at that level. But I mean, really, it's no different. I mean, obviously those guys are in that industry, but I mean, you're kind of a similar thing. You guys are at a high level of like, is there any, I mean, I think about the products, right? There's not anything else out like the Jerry on, on the market. Would you say that's probably true? Yeah, no, uh, there's nothing out there that has the same features that our product has, which that's always our goal with these flagship products. Amazing. Good. Well, so we got that. So that was a, a big one I wanted to touch on. Um, let's keep going on this. Your superpower. So you, if you think about what's the one thing that maybe you think that separates you, makes you stand out? What's the one thing you really excel at, do you think, uh, out of everything? Oh, man. Uh, I would say that my superpower is being able to visualize things in 3D space, which for the longest time, I didn't think that was a superpower. And as I've gotten older, I've realized not everybody looks at the world the same way that I do. Um, and just seeing how things fit together in 3D space. Yeah. Right. Before it's even a thing, before it's even a product. Yeah. Yeah. And it applies to so many other things, you know, like uh, fixing my kitchen, talking to my wife about, you know, how the fridge fits in the fridge space and the door opens and, you know, oh, this is going to open this way and this will collide with this. And she's like, I don't get it. Can you draw me a picture? And I'm like, you can't just see this in your head. Right. That's okay. It. And it, it's taken me a long time to kind of realize that that's something I'm good at. And then also be willing to admit it, you know. Right on. How are you and, you know, you, know, you got John, your counterpart, you know, over there, um, kind of the co-founders. How are you guys different? Are you more similar or more different on how you uh, do things around the company? We have really complementary skill sets. Um, you know, John is fantastic at seeing market needs and what people need and what they're looking for and understanding like, oh, okay, like people really like these kinds of designs in two years, 
you know, people are probably going to be into something like this or something that looks like this. So from a, a design and aesthetic standpoint and a marketing standpoint, he has like this crystal ball somehow. He, he, his powers of observation are are uh, extremely good. Yeah. And that's for me, you know, as a socially awkward engineer who likes to just sit at his computer and draw, you know, pretty 3D pictures, that's really great because he could be like, oh yeah, like if we make something that does this, people are going to flip out. And then I'll be like, oh yeah, you're totally right. That's exactly how that's going to go. Well, what if we, you know, and then my brain starts churning and I'm like, here's the product design. He's like, great. That's exactly what we needed to do. And then, you know, we're off and running. Yeah, there you go. So John's the guy and he is like on the videos, right? He's doing some of the videos out there. He's kind of the guy maybe out in front a little bit and you're, you know, a little more behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely how it's been for sure. Yep. It's awesome to have that actually, right? Because if you're both exactly the same, then you wouldn't have the complementary piece of it, right? That actually fits. I think some of the best, you know, brands, companies, whatever out there have just that. They've got the, you know, people that complement each other, right? As opposed to the same. Definitely. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of uh, other companies I've worked for or interacted with where the owners were, you know, of similar builds, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we were talking bikes. Um, if somebody's picking up, like, let's just say they don't have a mountain bike or they got some old, um, whatever the old mountain bike is, what's that look like? What would be your tip on getting a bike? There's so much going on, I'd imagine, but I guess you got to figure out what you need, but what would be your advice there? Um, let's say you're into fly fishing and you're like, you know what, I'm going to get a mountain bike and I'm going to go use this to go fishing. Go talk to your bike shop folks. I mean, it's the same as going to a fly shop and finding out like what kind of patterns you should be fishing in the local water. Go talk to the guys at the bike shop. They're going to know the trails in your area. Um, they're going to know the places that you're talking about, and they're going to be able to recommend the type of bike. Um, they're going to help you hit the price point you want to hit. And if they can't help you do it, a good bike shop's going to tell you where to go to find cheaper gear, used gear, you know, find the, the thing that fits exactly what you need. It's just like fly fishing, you know, put yourself in the community you'll find the information that you want. Right. Yeah. I never thought about, I mean, I've been to plenty of bike shops, but that is a good uh, comparison. Yeah. The fly shop, the bike shop, right. It's uh, actually pretty similar. Yeah. And a lot of the time, you know, if you're in a place where there's fly fishing and you go to the bike shop, chances are those guys probably fish. So you might end up with somebody who's going to ride with you and fish with you too. That's right. Yeah. If you're in a place like uh, any of these hot spots around the country, you know, Bozeman or any, you're, somebody is probably likely going to be fly fishing and maybe even biking too. Yeah. I mean, like where our headquarters is in Helena is a perfect example. You know, the, the fishing is terrible in Montana, but there's tons of great mountain biking in Helena. Oh yeah. Interesting. So you talked about the sport, you know, we talked about biking. What would be the one sport other than biking that if you're going to go pro in, that would be the sport? Man, it, it would either be skiing or surfing. Yeah, surfing. So are you doing some surfing up there in Olympia there? Yeah, yeah, we head out to the coast sometimes here in Washington. I, I haven't been in a long time, but I, uh, yeah, I love surfing. My wife taught me to surf in college and I love it. It's the first time you catch a wave and stand up it, you're like instantly addicted. It puts its hooks right in you. And even if you don't do it a lot, you're going to come back to it eventually. Right. Yeah. It is addictive. What, what's your, what's your uh, board? Are you like longboard, shortboard? Um, I, I have both. So I've got a, I've got a longboard. Um, I've got a fun fish, which is like a mid-sized board that I'll ride probably most often. And then 
uh, our friend here in Olympia, Bob, um, at Loser Cool Surfboards, he actually made us some custom trestle boards that... Oh, nice. Yeah, we, we thought... So when we started the company, we thought we were going to do like all these different sports and we'd tie them all together and, you know, and that was probably uh, a little bit more ambitious than we should have been. But um, Bob made us these really cool short boards that we were thinking, oh, well, if we, you know, design these right, then we can use them in like river surfing too. So you could go fish and then surf the river when you're done. But <laughs> um, nice. yeah, that's not as, you know, mainstream as a lot of the other things, but there's folks out there that are, they're surfing rivers, you know, there's spots in like Bend and, and Missoula where they've got standing waves and you can go hop in the river in your wetsuit and, and surf. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. And then you got the kayak surfers. I mean, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. You got these places. It's just, you know, you can pretty much do anything. It seems like, right. You could probably create your own sport and just do it. Yeah. The, the possibilities are endless. Don't let your brain limit your uh, creativity or what you want to do. Exactly. If you were going to go surfing at one place in the world, do you know, do you have that doubt? Do you have a spot you'd like to go to? Okay. That bucket list place. Um, this is going to sound crazy, but Alaska. Oh, wow. That is crazy. What, now, why Alaska? Is that seems, yeah, I would have thought more so, somewhere sunnier and warmer. Uh, when you, so when you go to sunny, warm places, there's more people, but there's also um, more large predatory fish in the water, which <laughs> the ocean scares the crap out of me. Oh, like, it does. Yeah. So you don't want to hear the story about my friend then that, that happened recently, probably. probably shouldn't I'd, tell I'd love one. to. I, I like being scared. <laughs> being scared is fun. That's why we do these crazy things. Yeah. Well, finish the Alaska, then I'll I'll tell my story. Yeah, no, I've I've seen a lot of guys who have surfed Alaska, and it just it looks miserably cold, and there's no people, and there's no sharks, and well, not no sharks. There's always something in the water, right? But fewer sharks, I'll say. But uh, I I grew up in New England and um, surfed in the winter time there, and it's just horribly cold, and I just I love that type two fun. <laughs> you're good with it. Throw on a hood and some gloves and you're good to go. Yeah, I don't I don't mind being cold for a bit to catch some waves. Yeah. And Alaska has good during the right time, has some sweet big stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, once you get up there on the coast, there's just so much coastline and so many spots to catch waves. There you go. Perfect. Well well, the story I was gonna talk about was a shark story and you know, occasionally you hear about stuff, but this was one where he was out there surfing, um, you know, uh, I don't know, it was just normal spots, right? And out of nowhere, right, this shark came up and just basically rammed him. Board. I think it thought he was a seal or a sea lion or something. Yeah. And rammed him, rammed his board. And um, I can't remember, you know, he fell off or something, but his hand just basically glanced the teeth. Mm -hmm. And it just, it like shredded it. You oh know, man. Just, yeah, just shredded his hand. And, and I saw the photos like, whoa, one little, you know, so I think the animal realize like, okay, this is not something I want to eat once he probably hit the board and stuff. But still, it's just that reminder like, wow, yeah, there's freaking sharks out there. Yeah. And not just sharks, but, you know, sea lions, dolphins, whales. You know, we've got orcas up here in, in Washington state, you know, and there's so many things that are so much bigger and so much faster than I am in the water. <laughs> it's hard to, hard to shake that thought when you're out there on a board. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, my biggest struggle isn't getting to there because I'm usually, when, when I've done it, I'm like just working, trying to get through the waves because I'm at such a low level. But even that's fun with surfing. You know, when you're out there just starting and getting pummeled and, you know, just trying to get, I mean, that's what's fun because it's exercise, right? You're, you're just out there in the in the elements. Yeah, it's exhilarating. And then when you finally do get out past the breakers, you're like, oh, wow, okay, this is what it's all about. I can kind of chill and wait 
wait for my opportunity to ride. Yeah. That's it. Nice. Well, let's take it out here. We got one, I got a book question for you. We got John Gearock coming on soon. He um, hasn't been on in a while and I'm, I'm trying to maybe put together some sort of a, I don't know what we're going to call it, but maybe a book club, but it'll be like John Gearock. So I'm going to actually ask him about it. Um, but, uh, talk about that. What, what's your book? Are you reading anything? Are you a big, are you more of like kind of reading or audio or what's that look like? Man, I I've kind of dropped off on the reading lately. Uh, there are some books I, I go back to, uh, let's see. Yeah. What's your favorite? What's a book that do you have one that's just, you could read right now and be like, okay, I could read this again. Yeah, actually I've got it right next to me here. It's called rework. Um, these guys who run a, a software company wrote this book and it's kind of, a like outside the box, look at, you know, things you do in business. Um, it's really digestible, really easy to read, really entertaining. Uh, but just had a lot of great advice for somebody starting a new business and I've always enjoyed it. I think everybody should read it. There's a lot of great advice in there. Nice. There you go. See, that's why I'm scratching my own itch. Now I've got a book to add to the queue. Perfect. So rework and who's the, do you have a, an author on there? I do. Yeah. All right. So rework, uh, was written by Jason Freed and David Heinermeyer. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Those are the guys who founded Basecamp. Oh, Basecamp. Yeah, of course. Which is a huge software program, right? Yep. It's probably one of the bigger ones out there, right? Yeah, yeah. They're um, like a you know collaboration platform for you know big companies and small companies. That's right. Yeah, we use uh, we use ClickUp. That's kind of been the our software pro. What, what do you guys have something like that you use? We also use ClickUp. Did John turn you on to that? Uh, no, another another person. We were doing Trello for a while. Yep. And uh, and when we brought in some like new staff on the team, it was like, okay, ClickUp is where it's at, and it is. It, I mean, it's just way more powerful. We don't even use half the you know close to what it does, but it's awesome. Same. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I feel like every week I find something new that I can do with it. And it's always like, oh man, it's like, you know, a kid in a toy store. That's right. And I think they have a ClickUp uh, event. I think they're having a, um, I'm not sure. I think I saw that on email somewhere, but nice. All right, Morgan. Well, um, I think you've given us a heads up in the next kind of year or six months to a year. It sounds like you got some new clothing coming out. Um, anything else you want to shed light on before we head out of here? No, I, we nailed it. This was great. I think so. I think we took a few tangents and got a little background on your story. It's pretty awesome. It sounds like to me, you're, um, I mean, you're fully, you're one of those people that just love, loves the outdoors. It, you kind of, it sounds like you do a little bit of everything. Yeah. Whenever I can, you know, having three kids makes it tough to get out these days, but uh, introducing them to that stuff has been fantastic. That's where it's at. Awesome. All right. We'll send everybody out to Trestle. Uh, you know, everybody knows Trestle. I think listening now has heard about you guys. So I think we're just giving them the opportunity to, you know, be educated a little bit on what you have coming. So I appreciate you guys doing the good work and spending some time here today to uh, shed light on it. Thanks, Dave. We really appreciate the time here. It's uh, a huge opportunity. So there it is. Wetflyswing.com slash 436. 436 to get the show notes and take a look at the Jerion and some of the good products that Trestle has going right now. Very excited to see what they come up with next and uh, I'm going to be digging into that artist series. If you haven't checked out uh, their artist series of clothing and everything they have going, check them out right now. Trestle.com. That's T-R-X-S-T-L-E.com. Let's do a quick listener shout out before we get out of here today. Douglas Dussel. Douglas Dussel. Uh, Douglas says, I love your podcast. Listen to them often to help me sleep. I want to take that as a compliment, Douglas. Uh, I want to thank you for reaching out. Uh, 
as well. You also mentioned here um, uh, that you live in Buffalo, New York, and fish all the Lake Erie trips for steelhead now. Uh, and then the small trips for trout and bass. Uh, this is pretty amazing. So, Douglas, uh, thank you again. I think you actually go by Doug. Appreciate you for supporting the podcast and love that we are putting this together for you. We're going to be heading back to your neck of the woods. We're heading back to Lake Erie this fall, and uh, we're going to be hitting Steelhead again. Steelhead Alley, that's what it's all about. We're going to be uh, putting together another trip, too. I think we might be starting in your neck of the woods and working our way across to uh, Ohio. So if you're interested in this and the time um, is going to be upon us very quick, you can send me an email anytime and let me know. And uh, we're going to open that one up to folks that want to jump in early. All right, Douglas, I hope to talk to you and would love to see you on the water. If you want to get a shout out on this podcast, easy way to do that is to send an email to me, dave at wetflyswing.com. And just let me know if we haven't connected or it's been a little while. I would love to hear what you have going. We'll love to give you a shout out on this podcast and put together an episode for you. All right, before we get out of here, let's take a quick look at where we're heading next. I'm going to give one shout out of where we are heading next. And uh, and we've got some interesting stuff coming Monday. We've got a special uh, bonus launch of a new podcast. This is The Code. Um, this has been a little bit of a break for a while, but we've got the marketing podcast. So if you're interested in digging back in, if you were on that, uh, on that list, you're going to be getting updated likely when the web growth code goes live. And we're going to be digging into a new episode. We're going to be getting these going monthly from here on out. So if you have a topic there, a marketing question or a guest that you'd love to hear, we're going to be digging in deep. The code, stay tuned. All right, I think that's all I have for you. I got another episodes to bust out here. So I appreciate you for uh, checking in today and uh, listen all the way till the end as always. And I hope you are having a good evening, good morning, or good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. And I appreciate you for uh, stopping by today. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.